0: Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. So, I would ask you a question. How many of you, in some way, kind of have a little bit of a rebellious spirit? Now, you don't have to raise your hand. Maybe in some way, you're just a little bit of a rebel. You kind of push back against the norm. Now, I don't mean that you are a rebellious child or a rebellious teenager or anything like that. That's not what I'm talking about. It's maybe more like someone who pushes against the grain a little bit. You know, maybe you see some kind of injustice or something really wrong, and you have to, you're just compelled to do something about it. Maybe that's you. Uh, maybe you're that person who asks lots of why questions. Right? That's uh, definitely me. You see, You tend to see the value in new things that are maybe harder for others to accept. Um, I would call myself that. I would not call myself a rebellious. I was not a rebellious kid or a rebellious teenager or anything. Now, you could check me on that. My parents are here this morning. If you know them, you could ask them. But I was definitely one to ask a lot of why questions, to kind of push against the grain a little bit, to say, why do we do the things we do? Or if, uh, you know, I'm like that Enneagram 1 personality, that, that moral perfectionist, right? You see something wrong in the world, and you just have to do something about it. Well, I would like to introduce you to uh, maybe a rebel uh, this morning, maybe two, if you'll allow me. There was a man by the name of uh, James Montgomery. He was born in 1771 in Scotland to Irish parents. And his parents were missionaries. And, and by the time he was the age of five, his parents accepted a call to the mission field and they left him behind. And so he was being raised by a, a Moravian community there. A couple years later, he was in England at age seven. And he was going to school there in England. Um, he was not a great student He would skip school a lot, and eventually, he flunked out of school, Um, and then uh, five years later, his, his parents died. The parents that he rarely knew ended up dying on the mission field, and so here we have James. You might call him a wanderer, a vagrant of some sort. He kind of bounced around, finding places to sleep. Working odd jobs, often not working out, and you know, he would just kind of come back to square one and have to start again. But there was one thing that James was good at, and that was writing. He loved to write uh, poems and editorial pieces. And so uh, there was a man uh, who ran a no- local newspaper called the Sheffield Register, and he decided to give James a chance. And eventually, James worked there for a while. He en- eventually ended up becoming the, the leader, uh, the head editor of this newspaper. Well, this was interesting because this newspaper was very specific. It was It was... Um, It was kind of an editorial piece of media. See, at this time, if you know anything about history in that time, England and Ireland weren't really on the best of terms. And so as an Irishman living in England or other Irish people living in England, there was a lot of tension. And so the Sheffield Register was kind of this outlet for Irish people to to write their opinions and, and talk about freedom and things like that as they were under kind of this English rule. And it was difficult. And just as James' parents took a stand against the Church of England and that long-time establishment and the rituals that they had and the strict rules that they had, he also kind of rebelled in his editorial way. In fact, he ended up in prison twice because of the pieces that ran through this paper all the while he began to study the Bible because he was really intrigued by why his parents would spend their whole life and actually eventually die for their faith on the mission field. And so he was searching at the same time there as well. And then something really interesting happened on Christmas Eve in 1816. On this day, Irish people who lived in England and who very much despised all things British, looked at the paper to see what Montgomery would have written at this point and what might further inspire their revolution. Instead, what they read was very different, had a very different tenor and tone. In fact, the piece was super inspiring, and it actually ended up kind of changing people's feelings on some things. That brought it brought them closer together instead of having this division. And he, this piece was called Nativity. And it was a story that was written about the birth of one who was called a Savior, who was for all people, English and Irish, and it was eloquent, and it was beautifully written. Now, this piece would later become known as the hymn, Angels from the Realms of Glory, and it touched more lives than James could have possibly imagined. And right now, I'm going to just let us listen to a small piece of this song. So why don't we play that? Now, believe it or not, this piece of music would revolutionize music and just thinking in general in the English church. And ironically, the revolutionary's poem might have been forgotten except for an Englishman. He was a member of the high English establishment, the same group of people from which James Montgomery often spoke out against. And it was interesting and ironic because it was this person who ended up making this poem a worldwide favorite. Henry Smart had become one of England's great composers and great organists of the time, and he was sort of a revolutionary himself. And what was his cause? His cause was that he wanted to bring more beautiful music into the church. At this time, music was not what we think of music today. It was only done by certain people in the the church. It was kind of uh, dirgy and kind of minor keys. And he thought, no, there's something better than this. We can make beautiful melodies and beautiful harmonies. And people, all the people should be a part of it. And they should be a part of singing it. Now, for traditionalists, those who had been a part of the church for hundreds of years, this had no place. And obviously, it caused division. But for people like Smart, they believed new, joyful, and beautiful music should be in the church that others could participate in and appreciate. And so in the midst of this Bitter battle, honestly, Henry Smart began composing new songbooks of new hymns and of new music. And once people began to hear them, they started to demand that they be sung in the church. And eventually, this mini-revolution changed the way the entire church operated, and, and, and this worship music started to take root. And so when Smart now heard the words of this nativity song, 20 years later, he was able to set it to a new harmony and a new melody, and it became known as the angels from the realms of glory. It would be welcomed as a new Christmas carol, and it really did begin to open up the doors for new pieces of music in the church. Montgomery went on to write over 400 hymns and with the help of Henry Smart, they led a quieter rebellion against the established institution that allowed the congregation to be a part of worship and singing. And this revolution changed the church as we know it. And so I want to talk about revolutions a little bit today. I realize that the song Angels from the Realms of Glory is not the most popular Christmas hymn out there. In fact, I would venture to say that many of you might not have heard it before, unless you grew up in the church, maybe you've heard it. But the implications of this song, for me, are too important to ignore. And I think that we would agree that the change that it helped spark brought off brought upon us you know this new way of thinking we would appreciate it so i want to talk about revolutions for a while which which might seem strange as a christmas story but it's not tell you another story. When I was just out of college, I was in my 20s. I had been following Jesus for a while. I had graduated from Bible college. I had gone to church my whole life, and I remember in some time span, I remember a thought, and I don't remember how I got this thought. I don't know if I, I read something. I don't know if I heard something. I'm not sure if I just started to think this way, but I heard this statement, and it was this. Jesus was a rebel. Now you have to understand, at the time, this was kind of a revolutionary thing for me. This was, this was something uh, that was kind of a, a shock statement. I had never thought of Jesus as a rebel before. In fact, in fact it sounded pretty radical to me. We look at Jesus uh, as a humble teacher, one who died for our sins, but a rebel? You know, we have this connotation when we hear rebels of, you know, kids rebelling against their parents or teenagers fighting against authority or, you know, people fighting against the establishment. Those are rebels. So how could we put Jesus in that place? But as my faith matured and my view of Jesus matured, uh, I I realized what his purpose here on earth was and it became clearer and clearer in my mind. I realized Jesus truly was a rebel. Jesus truly was a revolutionary. And so I want to explore this today. I want to explore the implications of a humble birth of a baby who ended up leading a revolution and changed the world as we know it. So revolution, what does revolution mean? Well, there's actually three definitions that I found, and I want to use all three because I think each have a different kind of spin, and each are very interesting for what we'll talk about today. So definitions of revolution, one is a forcible overthrow of a government or social order in favor of a new system. Another definition we could work off is is, uh, the movement of one object around the center of another object or the activity or movement designed to affect fundamental changes. This is what a revolution means. I was reading an article recently, and uh, someone else defined it like this. Most revolutions are driven by people and groups inspired by hope, idealism, and dreams of a better society. These revolutionaries attempt to change or overthrow the old order, while the old order strives to maintain its power. And what are the outcomes? Naturally, they're confrontation, disruption, and division, which can often lead to war and human violence and suffering. And so in my study, I have three observations about revolutions. Three observations about revolutions. If you're taking notes, you could uh, write these down if you want to follow along. Number one, revolutions start with a person. Revolutions always start with a person. Number two, revolutions spread. And three, revolutions aim to right wrongs and inspire change. Revolutions start with a person. Revolutions spread. And revolutions strive to, uh, to change uh, wrongs and inspire change. So let's start with that first one. Revelations start with a person. Revolutions start with a person. You see, the birth of Jesus did not seem like much at the time, did it? Well, at least to the outside world, anyway. To Mary and Joseph, that was a whole different thing. This was complete shocker to their life. You know, the immaculate conception, that is something really to consider. But again, to the outside world, that didn't mean a whole lot. Little did people know how much this birth would change the world. Now, the truth is, God did give some people, actually a couple people that we find about Scripture, a couple pieces of insight as to how significant an impact this baby would bring. And we find them right in the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2 is the famous Christmas story in the Bible, right? And so then we find this tale of these two people, uh, two prophets, really, because they foretold what was to come. We have a lady named Anna and a man named Simeon. And I'm not gonna go into a whole lot about their story because, in fact, we taught about that last year, so you can go back on YouTube and watch those messages. But I want you to hear what their prophecies were. And I want you to hear what they said when they met Jesus for the first time when he was about eight days old, when he was being dedicated in the temple. So Anna goes on to say uh, uh, that this highly favored uh, uh, child uh, and, you know, was the king. And she uh, says she told everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to save Jerusalem that this baby was the promised one. And I like that phrase, she told everyone, everyone she came in contact with, because she got this special revelation from God, she told, this person is something unique, something special. He's the promised one that the Jewish people have been waiting for. See, the Jewish people were waiting for a Messiah. They were waiting for this king to come and to take over. And it came in the form of this baby. So, I, like I said last year, Anna was this upbeat, kind of really positive woman. Uh, and her personality is really intriguing. But then we find the next prophecy given by Simeon, and that's the one I want to read. I believe uh, the verse will be on the slide here. Listen to what he says. He says, I've seen your salvation, which you've prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. He's a glory for your people, Israel. So that's all well and good. Here he is. He's the light. He's coming. But then he says this, the child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. And as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. Simeon was foretelling a revolution that was coming and that would be instigated by this child named Jesus. Revolutions start with a person. But number two, revolutions also spread. And just like James Montgomery's Angels from the Realms of Glory began to spread in this tenor and tone, which began to shape and feel differently among his own people. And it took 20 years for a man to, to put that to words you know, some might call it irony that Henry Smart came across this particular song and put melodies and harmonies to it. Some may call it irony that this wealthy elite, part of the English establishment, which was in stark contrast to the poor Irishman who wrote this song, some would call it irony. But here's the important piece that I think is Interesting. The way of Jesus always flies, always seems to fly in the face of the impossible, of what's supposed to happen. It's not irony. It is the way of Jesus. Because in God's kingdom, everything is kind of flipped on its head. It's flipped upside down. And God uses situations all the time in ways that we never thought possible. And so I would say this. If the way of Jesus is a revolution, and I believe it is, then it will spread in whatever way God chooses to spread it. Let me say that again. If the way of Jesus is a revolution, it will spread in whatever way God chooses to spread it. And so I want you to think about this for a minute as we look at the Christmas story. So help me out here. According to the Christmas story, who were the first group of people that heard about the birth of this child? Anybody? The shepherds, that's right. Now, do any of you know much about shepherds in that day? Anybody? Well, I could tell you this the shepherds did not have this glorious position. And in fact, some would call them on the social ladder the lowest of the low. Shepherds actually, in that day, were victims, they were marginalized by society. They were the lowest on the rung, And then the Bible says they come to them first, they worship him, and they spread the word about him. I find it fascinating that God chose to spread his revolution, starting with the lowest of the low, the victims, the outcast, the marginalized. It's fascinating. Now, if you know the Christmas story, which I know most of us do, what was kind of the second group of people that we find mentioned in the Christmas story? I heard it. The kings, the wise men. Yes, we call them the magi, right? Now, these people were not the lowest of the low. When they came, you did not find them in the dirty fields, in the mud, You found them in the royal palaces. In fact, they were among the kings when we find them in Scripture. They were the educated, the wealthy, the prestigious. They were people of influence, and maybe most importantly, they weren't Jewish either. They were from different nations across the earth. And so then they find out about the birth of this baby and they come and they visit Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And Matthew 2.11 says, they came and they worshiped him. Something began to change even in their own hearts when they knew nothing about what was going on or about a promised Messiah or anything like that. They began to have life transformation. In fact, so much so that the Bible tells us they went out of their way to protect the baby. So here we have shepherds, the lowest of the low on the social order. We have magi who hung out with kings and palace the most educated, the highest of the high. And Jesus has two groups of people from which the revolution is now starting to grow and starting to spread throughout the world. Three. Three. Revolutions aim to right the wrongs. Revolutions aim to right wrongs. Let's fast forward 30 years. Now Jesus is walking around. He's starting his ministry here on the earth, and he drew crowds everywhere he went. Why was this? Well, certainly it was because of some of the fascinating things that he was saying. I also think it was because of how he was saying them. You see, the things that he was saying were revolutionary at the time. His ire for institutions and for those in power was evident, and it drew people to him in his short time here on the earth. His way was seeking to right the wrongs that so many in that society in that day had overlooked. Overlooked and also had been propped up by the institutions of that day. Jesus' mission was to come and to help level the playing field for all people and to bring hope to those who had no hope. And as we read through the passage of Scripture, the Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those are the books that tell about Jesus' life. Here are just a few examples of Jesus bringing hope. Some of these stories you may have heard. There's a man who is possessed by demons. He's a crazy man. We find him in the Bible. He's naked and he's shouting crazy things, okay? He was really struggling and then Jesus met him, changed his life. And what I find fascinating about that story, says, he went out and told everyone. He proclaimed throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Certainly set that man's life on a different course. How about the ruler of the synagogue? We know him as Jairus. His 12-year-old daughter was dying. He comes to Jesus, seeks him out, finds him. He heals his daughter, and it says here in his position, he goes and tells everyone that he knows about this person. Certainly changed his life, and her life. We have in the same passage a woman with a blood disease that no doctor could heal. She's had it for the last 12 years of her life. She just barely thinks, I want to just touch his garment. She does. She's instantly healed, and it says the whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and why she had been immediately healed. Here we go. The revolution is spreading. How about the man who was born blind? that Jesus puts mud on his eyes and he goes out and the neighbors start looking and saying, who is this man? Wasn't he our neighbor who couldn't see before? How about the man who couldn't walk? His friends lowered him through the roof and he was healed. And the person there said, we've seen special things happening today. How about the crowd with no food? Remember that story? The kid had five uh, loaves and two fishes and Jesus took those things, he multiplied it and over 5,000 people were fed. You mean to tell me they didn't go home and say, huh, that was nothing, I could do that. No, they were, obviously, that was a huge impact. Jesus' word was spreading across the time. Then it comes to honor and dignity. Jesus also started a revolution in the way he brought honor and dignity to people in that culture who did not have it at that time. I think about children. What do we know about what Jesus says? He says, Let the children come to me. Don't stop them from coming to me. But here's the truth. Children at that time were not honored in society. Many times they were cast out. Outside of the city, they were put in heaps. Left for dead. And what is interesting is Jesus started to change the way people thought about children. And by the way, years later, it was Christians who led the way and revolutionized it. They would go outside the city. They would take them that weren't their own and begin to care for them and it revolutionized the way institutions and society looked at children. How about women? Women at that time were not given any dignity or honor and yet we see Jesus constantly throughout scripture lifting up women, pulling him alongside. He was, they were some of his faithful followers. He gave them honor and dignity. He talked to them even when others wouldn't. Jesus paved the way for marginalized people. I think about the way he changed social norms, the way people thought about power. You see, back in those days, power was about rule, and, and his teaching was very different. It was that love was more powerful than power and brutality and submission. I think about work. Because of the influence of Jesus' teaching and his followers, even the way we work today is different. Because instead of wealthy tyrants ruling over poor peasants, now we see and we're far from being all the way there, much greater a distribution of wealth, and much of that has happened because of the efforts of the church. I think about people's relationship to the universe, to the world. You see, the teaching of Jesus taught that we were not subjects of creation, but we are actually, in some ways, have dominion over creation, But in that time, there was fear and trepidation about nature gods who would come and strike them down, and so they had to give these offerings and sacrifice, and this is why we see this throughout Scripture. And yet Jesus' teaching changed all of that. We understand now that Jesus is the Lord of creation, and he gave us power over it. Revolutions aim to right the wrongs, and Jesus was the humble and compassionate leader of this new revolution, what I'm calling this new way. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 says this, now there is there neither Jew nor te- Gentile, slave or free Male or female, but all are one in Christ Jesus. Jesus was here to unify and bring people together, regardless of their gender, regardless of their social status, regardless of who they were. He says, we are all one in Jesus. And it's another prophecy that's fulfilled in Isaiah, which says, see, I am doing a new thing. Jesus was flipping the world on its head in the rebel way that he had to revolutionize the world as we know it. H.G. Wells, he's the famous author of the book, The War of the Worlds. Uh, He's actually uh, nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize in Literature four times. This is what he said about Jesus. He says, I'm a historian, I'm not a believer. But I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of human history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of history. You see, Jesus came to level the playing field. And what does this lead us to? For me, it's the one thing that I have not yet disclosed yet about what I think revolutions do. And it's the fourth thing, revolutions bring hope. Revolutions bring hope. Revolutions bring hope to the people who are broken. The definition of hope in the Bible, again, I've said this a bunch, is they're very different from the way we use the term hope here. It is the confident expectation of something guaranteed in the future. That's the hope that followers of the way have. The hope that one day all things will be made new and set right. And it was set in motion by the rebel Jesus. You see, the way of Jesus always wins. And as followers of Jesus, this is what we mean by hope. And check it out, it's available to all people. It's available to shepherds, it's available to seekers, it's available to sovereigns. That means all of us are included in it. That means hope is available to you and to me. When we encounter Jesus and begin to look at his life and mission, we have the realization that our lives matter, that they mean something, that there's purpose in it. Now, Jesus' primary purpose in coming to the world was not for social and political change, although that is certainly a part of it. His primary mission was what? To come to earth to be able to bring about a change in me. Mark 10.45 says, Jesus came to give his life a ransom for many. That ransom is the payment for my life. It's the payment for your life. He wants to revolutionize our thinking. He wants to revolutionize our hearts. And that's what this Christmas story is about. So again, I realize in a room this size, I realize with people watching online that we're kind of in all various spectrums of our faith, of our belief, of our journey in Jesus. And even if you can't get to the place right now that you believe the claims of God as the savior of the world, I would assert that you have to at least consider the significant impact that the way of Jesus had in the history of the world. And this revolution continues on 20 centuries later. Now, did it come? Does it come at a high cost? Yes, you better believe it does. Jesus ended up losing his life because the things that he said and did were so revolutionary. And guess what? When he calls us to follow him, he says, you're gonna have to lose your life for my sake too. There is sacrifice involved. And so some say, we all get to a point, is it worth it? Is it worth it? I got a text recently from someone who said this. They said, three years ago today was the first time I came to Hope Church. I was in a very dark place and walking through those doors changed everything for me. I had hope for the first time in a very long time. Thank you. The revolution of Jesus changes lives. And that's what makes this so powerful. Now I wanna read the verses of this song. Check this out. It says, angels from the realms of glory wing your flight over all the earth You who sang creation story now proclaim Messiah's birth. Shepherds in the fields abiding, watching o'er your flock by night. God with us is now residing. Yonder shines the infant light. Sages, leave your contemplations. Brighter visions beam afar. Seek the great desire of nations. You have seen his natal star saints before the altar bending watching long in hope and fear suddenly the lord descending in his temple shall appear sinners wrung with true repentance doomed for guilt to endless pains justice now revokes the sentence mercy calls you break your chains and though an infant now we view him he shall fill his father's throne Gather all the nations to him. Every knee shall then bow down. All creation, join in praising God the Father, Spirit, and Son. Evermore your voices raising to the eternal three in one. Come and worship. Come and worship. Worship Christ, the newborn King. That's the invitation. That's the power of that song. That's the power of our lives. That's the continuing of a revolution that Jesus started so long ago and wants desperately for all of us. That's the hope of Christmas. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much that we have access to life God, that we have access to the hope that you give, the new life that you breathed into the world. God, just so grateful for the example of Jesus. May it, may it start to impact all of us. No matter where we are in the faith journey, all of us, God, need to love deeper. We need eyes to see injustice. We need the lips and the voices to, to speak out in courage. God, may we be hope bearers in the revolution that you have started in us. I pray that for Hope Church, God, that would continue to touch and to, uh, uh, to people in our community, to people beyond our community, throughout Connecticut, throughout the world, God, that we would be a light, that we would be a place of hope where new life starts. God, in this season, may we never forget who you are and what you did and how you paved the way. In Jesus' name, amen.